And good morning to everyone and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Today's Friday. It's March 31st, 2017. Today we're reading from the big book and we're in the chapter, There is a Solution, and we're at page 20. And what we'll be doing is we'll start with paragraph three. We're going to read that for context and, and continue for four, five paragraphs. Today's readers are the 12 steps, Shannon B., the 12 traditions, Cheryl R. Now, our readers of the text will be Deb W., Devorah S., and Jackie B. Now, I have two share IDs for you. One is for uh, yesterday. Thursday, March the 30th, 2017, our 7am Eastern Time meeting is 9780. And the 10am meeting Eastern Time is 9781. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our purpose, our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Shannon B. to please read OA's 12 Steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Shannon B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Athens, Georgia. These are the 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked God to, I'm sorry, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only knowledge, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you, Shannon B. I will now ask Cheryl R. to please read OA's 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Cheryl R. from Virginia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And with that, I pass. And thank you much, Cheryl R. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We, need a, we read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. But we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Well, today we're going to resume our study, and we're beginning. The first reader will read on page 20. Paragraph 3 is going to be read for context only, which starts how many times have people said. And then we're going to, she's going to read and comment on paragraphs 4, 5, 6, and page 21, paragraph 1. And I'd like to ask Deb W. to please start reading for us. Good morning, everybody. This is Deb W. recovered in Oklahoma. How many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him. But there he is all lit up again. Now these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to dip a few years, oh, excuse me, to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Okay. So um, the there, there's a few lines that just really kind of spoke to me uh, reading this uh, these paragraphs. I love... I love every paragraph in the big book, but this is one of my favorites. And and what it is is it 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 says a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. And you know, it sounds cruel to say that you know people are ignorant of a thing, but it it is what it is. Even in our own fellowship, it takes a while for us to accept and admit that what we're doing is not what certain people do that don't understand it, that don't have the problem. What we're doing with food is not normal. And and that it is a thing if you're a real alcoholic that very few people, if any, are able to control, you know, because it has stepped over the line of being a, you know, a bad habit um, uh, or something to do just every once in a while with the group of family and friends to just go eat yourself crazy into where, you know, like me, I have no control. Certain foods, I have no control. And and honest to God, the foods that I can have, 
can be obsessive and compulsive eating. You know, it, these different types remind me of my, uh, I have a brother-in-law who, Chester, who, you know, he really doesn't like to eat at all. Can you believe it? There are people that don't care for food. They eat for nourishment. And I listen to him, and he says there are a few things that he kind of <laughs> likes, but as far as, um, you know, being that interested in food, he's not. And then I remember my mother growing up that always kept that big bag of candy back closet and the holidays she we'd get all this candy in we'd only see one or two pieces after dinner and we weren't ever you know able to just eat it at pleasure and and she would gain weight and then she would lose it and then she would gain it and she'd decide that she was a certain size and she'd stop eating and so you know but the real alcoholic the real uh person that has the um the the uh the the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind that's me unfortunately it's me i crossed the line at some point to where i no longer have control of the food once i start to eat it the 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 uh the binge foods the 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 foods that you know set this allergy up in my system that you know i i either you know don't want to stop eating them or even or when I want to stop eating them I can't and um the, the the ignorance is that we can control this you know the 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 misunderstanding of those people who are have not you know um experienced this cross the line and that it never will change for me I don't know about for you but it will never change when I was in relapse I told myself, and and now I look back at the different foods that I told myself in relapse were okay, you know, because it's it's a it's a problem of the mind also, you know. I can't believe I was calling myself abstinent and eating the way that I was eating at that time, and uh, having the foods that I justified, and, and you know, me and my mind told each other it was okay to have, but but now today. You know, if I left the program, I would still have the disease, and it would be worse because it continues to grow. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Deb W. Okay, who would like to comment on paragraphs four, five, six, in the first paragraph on page 21? Who would like to ask? Okay, I hear Kim G. And I hear Tina S. I'm sorry, I hear somebody... I heard somebody B. Was there somebody B? Stacy B? B as in Bob? T is in Tom. T. Got it. Got it. And Daniela O? One more? Larry. Kathy C. Larry. Okay, we're going to be on this all meeting, so we're going to have plenty of time. But we'll start this morning here with Kim G. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jane. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Oh, what critical, critical information we're being given right now. You know, a large part of knowing who I am is knowing who I am not. So this moderator who can take it or leave it alone, that is my father. My father is someone who weighs himself the day he goes away on vacation, eats whatever he wants on vacation, and comes back, gains 10, 10 pounds in 10 days. And then he simply moderates his eating and he gets back to that weight and he's fine. He can take it or leave it alone. 
Then there's the hard drinker. This is someone who might even eat like us. Maybe they're one of our binge buddies, but they get diagnosed with diabetes and they stop altogether. I can relate into that as a drinker. I didn't drink until I went to college. I drank alcoholically for 10 years. I was in a drinking and driving incident where I drove down the wrong way on a highway and almost killed me and my friend. I've never drank again. Now, if I had been caught that night, I'm sure that the law would have told me I was an alcoholic and I would have gone to AA. I would have been told, don't drink, go to meetings, and I would have been okay. Because, see, I'm not an alcoholic of the type described in this book, so I don't need the steps. So the question is not who I am, but who I am not. I am not the moderate eater. That's not my experience. I am not the hard eater. That's not my experience. So when we talked about those questions yesterday, these are reactions of people very different than ours, it's important for me. What I do sometimes is think of of something I don't have a problem in, and I try to compare that in. So, for example, I don't have a problem with shopping. And Costco, which is a warehouse store, is hugely popular in my area. And people have a lot of problems with that. People say they can't, they can't they spend way too much money there and they can't control themselves. And what I think to myself is, oh, come on. You know what, just make a list of what you're going to buy and don't buy anything off your list. Or if that's a hard time, why don't you set a dollar limit? Say you're not going to spend more than $100 and don't spend $100. Or if that's a problem, why don't you just go to Costco every other month and, and limit it? And I think they're crazy that they can't do that. But compare that to what the questions were we had yesterday and what those people who don't understand what food does for me says to me. Kim, if you have a problem, just write your food down and don't eat off of what you wrote down. Or you know what, Kim, there's this point program. Set a number of points and don't eat above your point level. Or if you really, really have a problem with pizza, Kim, why don't you just go and have pizza every other month? I look at them like they're crazy because that's not my experience. So I think it's important today. Spend some time. Think about it. Moderate eater. Can you relate into that? Not that you can relate into it 10 years ago because maybe you weren't 10 years ago. Can you relate into it now? Because if you are that real alcoholic, then you are going to identify with this book and you're going to need to do the work that's required in this book. And with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Kim G. Okay, Tina S., it's your turn. Thanks, Janice, for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Uh, thanks, great shares. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember first reading these uh, paragraphs and thinking, boy, I want to be like that moderate drinker. I want to be like that hard drinker. But I couldn't really relate to any of that. What I could relate to what the hard drinker was, where it talks about, I went to any lengths to try to uh, not compulsively eat ill health, falling in love, change of environment, warnings of doctors. You know, I was like, oh, this will be at this time. I'm going to fall in love. Oh, the new relationship. You know, I'm going to have the perfect body, eat the perfect way. And I never had a clue. I never had the the, um, the skill set to do that. And uh, what I do know is I certainly, certainly relate to the real alcoholic, you know, the real compulsive eater. And, you know, I, I've been a compulsive eater since I can remember three years old, you know, so I don't have that experience of maybe being a moderate eater at some point in my life. I was always a compulsive eater. And then later in life, I became anorexic. So, you know, I always had these skewed ideas about how I needed to eat or live, you know. And I say this a lot because it's the truth. It's not about my, because I'm also an alcoholic. So those are the ways I coped with what, with life, you know, through drinking and eating or not eating. You know, I didn't know how to live. That was my problem, you know, and, I, and on my own, I still cannot live. You know, I need to have a power greater than myself who through this book 
shows me exactly how to do life one day at a time. And, um, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to be in these paragraphs and in, in deeply in disease, which, you know, some people are. And I'm so grateful that I have an opportunity to share this with others. If they want what we have, you know, honestly, just like we do, they have to do what we do. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Tina S. Okay, Stacy T. Good. Thank you. Good morning, this is Stacy T, recovering compulsive eater in Cleveland. Thanks for your service. And this, these couple paragraphs have stood out to me for years, um, and I wanted to be like has been previously stated. I wanted to be the moderate drinker, even the hard drinker, and when it came down to admitting my powerlessness, I had to get real about being the real compulsive overeater. And while it mattered that I can recall the earliest memories, it doesn't serve me today. Um, Today I know that if I were to pick up, I know that I will lose all control to set down whatever it is that I pick up. Um, And I also wove in and out of um, having a relationship, my health, um, changing of environment, all of that, Um, as well as, oh, she would be such a pretty girl. And so being at a relatively uh, healthy body weight now, um, that doesn't mean anything. Um, What it means is that unless I do what I'm told, and specifically as it's outlined in this book, um, my disease continues to progress while I stay sober um, because I am a real compulsive overeater and my alcoholic foods will kill me. And I know today that that's the truth. And I spent decades, even when I came into OA, not believing that was true. And to have that truth today is a gateway to freedom. And with that, I pass. Oh, thank you so much, Tina. I mean, Stacy T. Danielle O., it's your turn. Good morning, everyone. Danielle, compulsive overeater. I was uh, actually thinking of something as this reading went on. When I first got asked, no, I'm going to say when I, the second time I got asked, you know, I said, before it actually happened, I was going to doctor visit and in the denial of the disease. And I thought I was okay. And the doctor was telling me, if you don't lose weight, we're going to put you on diabetes medication. And I thought, oh, no, you're not. Because then I'm going to be a real diabetic, and that's not okay. Now, I'd already been diagnosed with that disease for eight years prior. And so I did the only right thing I could do. I fired that doctor. And that's the kind of thinking I have. So I moved on to another doctor. And within a few visits, they said, Danielle, if you don't lose weight, we're going to put you on diabetes medication. And that's when I took a pause and I said, you know what? They're saying the same thing. I might be the problem. And I started to look at that as uh, an issue. 
because I was a common denominator and I couldn't keep firing doctors. So I ended up uh, ended up going to a dietitian and listening for the first time in my life. And lo and behold, soon after I was getting abstinent in OA and with a combination of all of those started to make me realize I really had a disease and uh, compulsive overeating. And if I didn't do something, seriously do something, then I was going to end up with death, an early death just like my mother and my father. And that was not okay with me. So it took some time for me to get real. It took me some time in the rooms of OA to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater. I knew I was in my head, but in my heart, I, I was scared. And that was the one thing that kind of separated me. I'm, I'm grateful that these readings kind of bring that out in me because I remember those early days. And thank God I don't have to live that today. I, I have a good life, life beyond my wildest dreams. And it took everything it did in order to get where I am. And I may not be far along, but I am exactly where God intends me to be. So I'm just grateful that I heard some of the the really positive messages and the triggering of my memory of what that was like when I was so, just so stubborn and thought I was doing just fine. And I'm just real grateful this morning. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Daniel O. Okay, Larry Kay, it's your turn. Hi, Janice. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, great. Uh, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. I, I can't push myself away from the table when I came in here. I tried to do that. I can't exercise my way into a new weight. I can't uh, do any of these things. You know why I can't? Because I'm powerless. I'm not helpless, but I am powerless. I don't have the power to do it. If you're a newcomer, you know, you're sick and suffering. You're a sick and suffering compulsive overeater who's dying of an untreated condition. You come into rooms. You learn about this problem. You learn about the solution to this problem. You learn then about the means to bring the solution to light. You still can't push yourself away from the table. But now... What, what if you're sponsored by a person who is a moderate eater or even a hard eater? They, they look like a duck and they quack like a duck, but they're not a duck. See, now they can be a well-intentioned person. They can want, you know, want this for you. They can be abstinent for a long, long, long time, but they're not a compulsive overeater. They may just be a hard eater or a moderate eater. And the problem with that is, is that if you're sponsored by that person, they're not going to have the same understanding. They're not going to have the same understanding that, you, that a true compulsive overeater has with regard to the problem, <clears throat> with regard to the solution to the problem, and then how to bring that solution to light. And oftentimes, I think what happens in a way, they then begin to focus on the tools, particularly the food plan, particularly about your, your, your psychological, psychological condition, you know, talk you off the, off the, uh, off the, uh, the fence there and try to make things better for you. And, and so you'll have, you can fight this thing one more day as they've been doing for years. But that's not how you bring the solution to light. 
they just don't understand and they can be very, very bright and they can speak well and they can do all sorts of things, but they can't understand because they do not have this affliction. Thus, without the problem, they don't need the solution nor means to bring the solution to light. And therein lies the problem, I think, sometimes with, with this program. I want to be sponsored by someone who understands, who truly understands, who used this solution to bring a power greater than ourselves through the steps worked in sequence to bring me to a place where I can have this obsession lifted, gone. So grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous, for Overeaters Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Larry Kay. Okay, just a reminder to tell you where we are. And we're on page 20, and we're commenting on paragraph 4, 5, and 6, and paragraph 1 on page 21. Who would like to be next? Harlan G. Harlan G. Harlan G. And Lisa B. And Reba E. Reba B. Reba B. I heard someone before Deborah. After Barbara Reva P. E. Was that you, Barbara, after Reva? It was, yes. Thank okay, you. Okay, dear. Good enough. Barbara E. Okay, that's a good little group. Uh, let's start with Harlan G., please. It's your turn. Thank you very much, Janice, and thank you to Team Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. So grateful for your service. Harlan G., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, I just want to pick up on what Larry just shared, and, and it ties in beautifully to what we're reading. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since 1979, February the 2nd, 1979. And in the decades that I have been attending meetings of Overeaters Anonymous, I have seen much damage done unintentionally. And, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions by people who came into Overeaters Anonymous because they thought they needed to lose 10 pounds, they thought they may need to lose 20 pounds, whatever it is, and they come in and they're non-compulsive overeaters. And so for them, going to three meetings a week, calling in their food and making three outreach calls a day works perfectly. They can use some tools, not even all of them. They can use some tools and they can stay completely free of compulsive overeating because they do not have this illness. And the sick compulsive overeater sees someone sitting in a corner identifying as a sponsor that's well put together, everything matches, they look great, and they say, will you sponsor me? And the sponsor says, go to three meetings a week, make three outreach calls a day, and stay on your food plan. And the compulsive overeater tries that for a day or two or a week or 10 days, and eventually they fall off. And they call the sponsor crying, and they have a slip, quote-unquote slip, and the non-compulsive overeating sponsor says to the compulsive overeating sponsee, you just aren't trying hard enough. And this goes on and on until one day we turn around and we say, where is so-and-so? They haven't been around for a year or two or five. One of the things that needs to be in place for this message to be carried is it has, the message has to have depth and weight. 
depth and weight. And unfortunately, there's no way to legislate this out of OA. There's no way to for us to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, you're not a compulsive overeater. What the heck's going on here? We have to make that connection to the person where the sponsor and the sponsee are convinced that the other person has the illness. That's part of the instruction in Chapter 7 is to, you know, have a conversation with the person, see if they identify. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. And thank you, Harlan G. All right, Lisa P., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Lisa B. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, Lisa B., I can. Thank you. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and thank you for all the shares. Um, I was looking at step one in the AA 12 and 12, and it was telling me that in AA's pioneering time, it was really just the most desperate cases that could swallow and digest this truth. And it says that even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were. But a few did when they laid hold of AA principles with all the fervor with which the drowning seas, life preservers, they almost invariably got well. And then it says here that um, that many less desperate alcoholics tried AA but did not succeed because they could not admit their hopelessness. So I need to be able to admit my hopelessness. Then it goes on to say that um, in the following years, that alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, even two cars in the garage, began to recognize their alcoholism. So they were spared the last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had gone through. So the um, bottom was raised up on them to hit them, you know, where they, where they were. So I don't have to go to the nth degree. Um, when I see that I am truly hopeless, I don't have to, but, you know, this big book tells me that as a real alcoholic, the hopeless feature of my malady is that queer mental condition surrounding that first bite. It prevents the normal functioning of willpower. And that it tells me that if I am severely afflicted, there will be little chance, there may be little chance that I can recover by myself. And it also tells me that I'm doomed, many are doomed, who don't even realize their predicament. So I don't know why I knew um, from a young age that I had a problem with alcohol and food. I don't know why. I think I knew I think it caused such a great effect. It gave me such release in the way I felt. And there was such a huge variation of how I felt when I didn't have the food in me and how I felt when I had it. And it frightened me. And I could tell that other people did not have that experience. But I just kept it silent inside of me. And I went on through my life thinking that this is like a curse. I'll just have to live with that. So this big book tells me that I need to be able to acknowledge the hopelessness of this, that there is no other thing for me to try, and that to pick up these principles like a drowning person. And sometimes that doesn't happen until we are almost at death's door. But many times we don't even know that we're almost at death's door because we're so used to living like that. And when I met my first OA recovered sponsor and I heard her sharing about her experience with what this book did for her and these steps did for her, and I heard her sharing about her pain with food, I could identify in. And I knew that that could happen for me too. And with that, I passed. And thank you so much, Lisa B. Okay, Reba P., it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning, it's Reba P. 
grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, I find it really interesting that in a chapter titled, There is a Solution, um, it's educating me to help me self-diagnose myself. And that reminds me that even though there is a solution, and it's so powerfully written how you know these hundred people have found a way out and recovered, why would I bother to do all the work that's laid out in front of me in the next chapters if I'm not a real compulsive overeater? So this is really important for me, for all of us to like self-diagnose. Am I a moderate drinker? I tried. Am I a hard drinker? I tried that too and it didn't work. And I asked myself that question, why can't I just be like that? And this is explaining to me that there's another category and there's something called a real compulsive overeater. And am I it? Because if I'm it, I'm doomed unless I work these steps that are going to be laid out in front of me. But if I'm not, then don't bother. I can just go on a diet and I'll be okay. Um, and, you know, I love, uh, somebody once shared at a meeting ages ago, and I will never forget it, because, you know, the category of real compulsive overeater is somebody who's got the double whammy. I'm physiologically, there's something that they've probably identified, but I don't need to research that information that's chemically, biologically, physiologically different, but there's also something mentally that's different in me, because I'm the real deal. Um, and it's just like um, I was told, you know, when a cucumber becomes a pickle, there's no way for that pickle to go back to be a cucumber. Like there's stories in this book, people with 20 years, 25 years, it doesn't matter. I cannot go back. It's a permanent thing. Um, and the only um, treatment that I can do is to arrest this one day at a time um, by you know putting down the food and working the steps. Um, so I love the reminder um, and the questions. Am I real? Am I the real thing? Otherwise, really, why should I put in the effort? And with that, I pass. Mm. And thank you so much, Reva P. Okay, Barbara G. It's your turn. Did you say Barbara E? Barbara E. I said G, oh. but it's E. Okay. Thank you so much. Wow, so many thoughts going through my mind. First of all, thank everyone for their service. I was making my oatmeal this morning before the meeting, and I put the, my instant oatmeal, I should say, I put the water in the bowl, and I put it in the microwave, and it bubbled and bubbled until it got to the top, and I hit stop. And then I let it cool down, and I hit start again, and it turned in the other direction, and it bubbled and bubbled till it got up to the top, and I pushed stop and did the same thing over again. That's the way my compulsive overeating always has been. I was born a compulsive overeater. I never want just one. I don't want the sleeve either. I want the box followed by the gallon. And I've tried the experiment of being a moderate overeater. I've tried. I've gone on a talc tour with my family all up and down the Pacific West. It was wonderful. And for the first 10 days, I was doing beautifully. But then the last 10 days, I ate everything in sight. 
and everything out of sight. I made excuses to leave my family, to walk down the street, to buy candy and cookies and all kinds of things, brought them back to the hotel room, went into the bathroom and ate them. When we returned, my husband had gained 10 pounds. I had gained 20 pounds. The difference between us was he lost the 10 pounds. He immediately moderated what he ate. I went on to to gain another 100 after that. I can't stop once I start. I'm like that oatmeal spinning around in the microwave. I always experiment to see how far up it can go. I don't want to do that again. And I realize for me now, I thought I was totally self-reliant. I could do it by myself. All I needed was to be strong enough. But I couldn't. And I came into OA, and I did embrace the tools, and I did get a sponsor. But I also realized that there was a higher power, a power outside myself that I couldn't identify. And then a miracle happened. I believed that I could let this higher power, this creative intelligence, help me to make better decisions. And I do it imperfectly. I do it one day at a time. I am abstinent, but it's just by the grace of my higher power. And I realize and I embrace the opportunity to do the steps yet again, but do them really completely with abandon. And I thank you all for this wonderful meeting. Have a good Friday, and I pass. And thank you, Barbara E. Okay, Deborah, it's your turn. I don't think I got your first initial. Deborah? Yes, hi. Good morning, everyone, and um, happy Friday. Um, There's, yes, the moderate drinker, and the um, hard drinker, and then there is that real alcoholic, or for me, a real compulsive overeater. And I certainly might have started out, but I was thinking back on, in the doctor's opinion, they're talking about they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomena of craving, the phenomena, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as distinct entities. And it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And the real compulsive overeater, when I work with a sponsee or, you know, prospect anyway, um, I find that telling it what it used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like now, to let them know that I am the real deal, that I'm not just uh, somebody in a small size body, I'm not the moderate eater like Harlan said, you know, goes to three meals or three meals a day, uh, three meetings a week, and or three phone calls a day. Um, I actually, you know, suffered from eating 144 chocolate chip cookies in 11 hours and various other things. I know this disease inside out, and I try to give it the depth and weight of which I've come and now have the freedom of no um, food thoughts that 
I am not plagued by it, that I live on a daily basis doing my best to expand my spiritual fitness and um, keep that up. Um, the other part is that, you know, I can't start without needing more. Um was just reading in the man it could or in the story it could have been worse one of the books in the back of the third edition one of the stories and he said a thousand or a, one drink was not enough and a hundred was too many um which is another way to describe I like to um share that it's just a nasty disease and ask them about what 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 the disease has taken them and what they're willing to do. Um, as a real compulsive overeater, you know, I have to go to any lengths and be willing to. And I never ask my sponsors to do what I wouldn't do or haven't done myself, actually. And from there, we grow and learn together. And yes, um, when I encounter people who are, um, you know, think they can read the steps and, and you know, get abstinent afterwards. Um, and my time's up. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for watching the time. Okay, we can take about a few more. Who would like to be next? Nessa R. Nessa R. Anyone else? Deborah K. from Jersey. Wait a minute. Nessa R. Vasa O. And I think I heard Leia. Jackie B. Deborah, Deborah K. from New Jersey. Okay, let's try those four and see how it goes. Nessa R., it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Nessa R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I, I grew up with two people who ate like I ate. Um, I had a best friend in elementary school who was obviously uh, my eating buddy. But um, when... Um, we became teenagers, and she started to become interested in boys. She decided it was time to lose weight, and she went on a diet and lost her weight. And to this day, 35 years later or more, she's still in a normal body. And then my cousin, my cousin actually ate worse than I ate. Um, he would have a two-liter bottle of Coke and a family-sized bag of Cheetos for breakfast every day. I don't think I ever did that or, or maybe just mercifully unlocking off the memory or ever having done that. But he truly ate worse than I, than I did. And he did the same thing. You know, one day he decided enough's enough. He went on a diet, lost all his weight, and also still in a normal body. And I thought, you know, if they can do it, I can do it, especially my cousin, you know. But I couldn't. And for decades, I beat, I beat myself up. You know, I called myself names. I thought I was a total loser, a total fa- a failure, a poor excuse for a human being, the scum of the earth. Um, it was, you know, a total self-loading for me. But then when I was properly taken through the steps to the big book, and I really took the time to understand what was written in these pages and reflect upon that. These passages that we have read today explained everything to me. Of course, these two people were hard eaters, and they were very, very, very hard eaters, but they were not the real thing. They were not the real compulsive overeater 
I had no allergy of the body and no obsession of the mind, which, of course, that was my lot in life, and that explained everything. You know, and after, like, 45 years of beating myself up, of, of thinking, you know, that it was all my fault and that I would never get it, and, you know, I was doomed to um, live fat and unhappy, um, this explained it all. And, you know, it really made sense. And it really, really made sense. Um, you know, so I had to do something different. For me, a diet like they did was not going to be enough. You know, of course, it involved, you know, um, changing what I ate, you know, in order to become entirely abstinent and eliminate all the foods that were triggering my allergy. But in addition to that, I had to work my steps. You know, I had to work the steps according to the big book in order to recover. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that because they were not like me at all, even though I thought uh, that's what it was. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you. And and thank you so much, everybody, for the timing. Yeah, Vasa, oh, good morning to you. It's your turn. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Janice, for your service and for everybody's service this morning. It's, It's a wonderful meeting. And, uh, again, I'm grateful recovered compulsive overeater called from Florida. And I probably was born with the disease, um, but my disease didn't kick in until we came in America. I was, like, 15 years old. And uh, I do believe if we had the food that we have here in America, I would have probably been, you know, doing the same thing over there. But it seemed like food was much more acceptable over there. You know, being a little over it or being over it, overweight was it was good. You know, because a lot of people very thin over there, there was not enough food or we didn't have the junk food. But anyway, and since we came in America, I, I gained 20 pounds in one month. So that's when my addiction started. And you know, and I had friends, <clears> though <throat> they were very cautious, and we were looking in magazines. You know, looking. You know how we wanted to be thin and looking good in clothes. And so I, you know, it was all about vanity for me for many, many years trying to control it. Well, I used my own strength, my, my, my own willpower to, food the food, to put the food down. And everything I did in myself, I, I had no clue I could go to a power greater than myself. I thought I was, I was supposed to stand on myself. So I was ignorant in that area. I didn't know any better. But anyways, I, I, over the years, I tried to be moderate drink, moderate eater. I tried, I, and I had been hard eater, and I'd go, I had weighed and measured and weighed um, and counted calories, and I could not control it. I just, I couldn't do it any longer. I guess for me, and I crossed over when I gave into the food addiction and I stopped dieting, you know, because I remember saying, well, everything I have done, it's just not working any longer. I mean, I had a couple more things I could do, but I was too embarrassed to do it, you know, like go and have a bypass done or have my jaws wired or go to a hypnotist. That was very scary. They might not be able to bring me back if I went to a hypnotist. So uh, for me, uh, that was the time when I crossed, when I just gave into the food. And then, you know, of course, people would tell me, well, you can, you can moderate yourself. You, you know, why can't you just do this or do that? 
Well, they didn't, un- they didn't understand I have this. I didn't even understand I have the disease or the allergies. So for me, the key was coming, coming to the program and learning, coming to this big book. I'm not going to keep going. You know, there's so much to tell and do. But this was the solution for me. This was the recipe. If I it up, if I surrender this program and the steps, and it's going to work, and it has worked for 30 years. Thank you for letting me share that talk. And thank you, Vasa. Oh, okay. Leah M., it's your turn. Thank you very much. But what about the real alcoholic? You know, I had to get an education about who and what I was, that I was a real compulsive overeater. And, you know, this is not, you know, about just studying the book like a research paper and, you know, it was through countless vain attempts of what was not working for someone like me. You know, I didn't have an appreciation for who and what I was. For years, I thought it was lack of moral character. I had no willpower. You know, I kept seeing myself uh, in terms of morality, you know, that I was weak. And I was internalizing these messages, you know, why can't you stop? Just only eat a little bit. Um, You know, meanwhile, I'm suffering in silence. I'm trying all the more to wrest control of the uncontrollable. And I was setting the stage for more failure and more self-loathing. And, you know, the disease beat me into a state of reasonableness. I just, I didn't have an appreciation for who and what I was, that I am bodily and mentally different, that there is something about me that sets me apart as a distinct entity. Beginning with the allergy of the body, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. I had to have an understanding that I have an abnormality of my body, which means that once I start eating certain kinds of foods, certain substances, I develop cravings which overpower me. And there is no satiation. Uh, There is only a desire for more and more and more. It's like throwing a match into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! (laughs) You know, it just takes off. I mean, there is, you know, something in my body that is different, and you might not be able to see it. Someone might not be able to observe it, but I feel it. It's like bells and whistles go off in my body. I had to understand and have an appreciation for all the substances, many, 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 many substances that create that phenomenon of craving. However, (laughs) I also have an abnormality of the mind, a mental obsession, the big book calls it, which means even when I stopped eating those substances and I have stopped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. My mind persuades me that I can return to eating those foods which are killing me. Abstaining only, abstinence only, I always say it's like holding my head underwater. You know, I can only do it for so long before I need to catapult myself up out of the water and take a breath. And that is the urgency of the steps. Until I understood that allergy, the body put down all my substances, I'm wrapping up, and an obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of my disease, I did not understand the urgency and necessity for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, to implement these steps and to keep implementing these steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks.
Janice, we don't. Janice, are you still with us? Janice, sorry, sorry I'm one, please. talking away. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? I think you can. We can. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's about that time, closing time. I don't know what you heard, but thank you to everyone who has shared to make this meeting possible. And the share ID for today, which is Friday, March 31st, 2017 is 9783-9783. That's and please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close the, with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Jackie B. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Jackie from the Bronx. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay, thank you. All righty, here we go. Um, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And get and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you Find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you charge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 